Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and you can keep up with us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA, and you use that same handle to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast at. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, TuneIn, just to name some of those platforms at Radio Islam USA. And I'm going to ask that you not only subscribe, rate, and review, but you do the really important thing of sharing, right? Because if you find some benefit in these conversations, you'll want to share them because folks find out you've been listening and then holding out. They're not going to be happy with you. So share, share, share. All right, before we begin, family, we want to thank our sponsor, Recycle Processes. Thank you very much for your continued support. And with that, we're going to get into today's conversation. I am pleased to have joining me on the line the co-founder and executive director of Muslim Arc, Marguerite Aziza. Assalamu alaikum. Walaikum salam. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, it is always our pleasure to be able to touch base with you and uh, get your perspective on a number of things. Um, and I think it'd be great for us to start off because the work that Muslim Arc does, it is, um, I think it's so, so relevant uh, and important at this point in time we find ourselves in as a nation. Uh, this past week, just a few days ago, August 28th, marked two very important dates in the history of the United States with regard to its awareness of its, um, of its, of its dysfunction that is rooted around race. Uh, the first date is uh, August 28th, 1955, and this marks the, not just the, uh, the lynching, the brutalization, uh, the assassination, the torture of 14-year-old Emmett Till, a uh, young Chicago boy uh, visiting Mississippi, and he was, as I said, he was he was killed um, after being accused of offending a white woman in her family's grocery store. And it marks the another date, which is the iconic I Have a Dream speech given um, by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, in 1963. Yeah, let me get my dates right, in 1963. And if, even if you've never heard the speech, which I cannot imagine anybody listening to this program uh, having not heard the speech, um, you do know that it was a call for uh, for healing. It was a call for, um, it was a call for, for us to, to come into our, our best selves as a nation. So we have these two dates, and we've got Muslim Ark. Muslim Ark, which works with uh, dealing with anti-blackness and Islamophobia. Where do you, how do you, what, what do you see, what are the threads that you see between these two particular incidents and where we're at right now and the work that, that you and Muslim Ark have been doing? Yeah, I mean, this is just such a important moment um, and is deeply rooted in the work that we do as, as Muslim Anti-Racism Collaborative we see ourselves as beneficiaries, but also carrying the legacy of the black freedom struggle that we all benefit from. Um, this month, uh, it's the end of August, it marks the August um, 1619, where when the first um, Africans who were captured and enslaved were brought um, to North America. Um, 400 years of oppression, right, you know, and 400 years of resistance and resilience. And um, so that that's what the legacy that we build 
with, that we work with, um, and that we benefit from. Um, and, you know, I mean, just thinking about the speech, uh, Dr. Reverend Dr. King had said, you know, let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California, and that's what I'm doing from Chino Hills. <laughs> and, you know, like we got slopes, it's real curvy, but like, and, and there's a lot of things going on, even though when we think about California as, as very progressive, I mean, San Bernardino and Orange County, we have hate groups. We have, um, we have Muslims that have been targeted, even people that I know who have been targeted by white supremacists in, in this area, and, and that we are a national organization. We have members across the country and also in Canada um, and folks who, who are part of our team who are internationally impacted by, by um, neoliberalism, you know, like impacted by global white supremacy. And so um, I think it's, it's just very, like, what Muslim Mark is really about is providing the human rights education framing to to understand um, how diverse Muslims are racialized, um, and that's for our allies, but even for our own selves. Like it's sometimes it's easy to forget we're in our silos, right? And we don't understand how our issues are connected. Um, but we're also we're we're very keen on providing the tools for Muslims inside of our community to um, understand um, racial justice, to understand um, black liberation struggles, and to be able to connect their issues and causes in broader ways so that we could build stronger coalitions, not only just within our ummah, um, I think it's also sometimes a little bit dangerous where some people may say like, hey, I support my black Muslim, like black Muslim brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. and they don't see us as deeply connected in multiracial families. Like if you're here for me, then you need to show up for my nephews. That's you right. need to show up for, you know, you need to show up for my peoples. And my family is multiracial. I have Latino family members. I have black family members. I have multiracial family members. And I need my community to show up for them. And I need my family to show up for Muslims. And that's like that we're all interconnected and interdependent. And so for at Muslim Ark, what we do, we, we provide a shared uh, language, a shared understanding and framework so that we could do that effectively. And also best practices so that we don't harm one another while we're trying to build a, uh, a future, a shared project that um, for this promise, right? This mm-hmm. dream, America's promise of moving out of that nightmare that existed, the nightmare that our ancestors survived, and um, that the nightmare is that the indigenous people, the first peoples of this land had experienced, and that how do we shape a future where we can all live in dignity and, um, and feel welcome and we could be safe, and that we are not harming the land, we're not harming the people. Right, right. You know, what, what you said there, it is very much in line with the picture that Dr. King was painting, right? In contrast to the ugliness of a 14-year-old boy being subjected oh. to the brutal torture uh, and treatment that only only the, the, the deepest levels of hatred uh, could manifest. Um, and and yeah. that is, you're speaking about the possibility of, of healing, of, of uh, collective progress and action. And that's very much in line with the sentiments shared in Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. But let me ask you, when it comes to um, the comparison or the contrast 
of the death of, of Emmett Till. And the reason that it, it's important in contrast is because when I looked at the Wikipedia entry for his uh, about Emmett Till, it simply said he was a 14 year old African-American lynched in Mississippi in 1955 after being accused of offending a white woman in her family's grocery store. It mentioned nothing about the barbed wire around his neck attached to a, uh, what is it, a, a, a gin, um, a, a fan, this big industrial type fan or something like that, or his eye being gouged out or out, his eye being gouged out or ear cut off or just the, the brutality that he endured. It was... It was, it was sanitized. I mean, of course, lynching is yeah. is a terrible thing, but the description is very much sanitized. For anybody coming along for, uh, to see the the blurb about it, this is what they see. It was his mother, who had the courage, Mamie Till Mobley, who had the courage to have an open casket showing the ugliness of the effects of racism and white supremacy and, and that hatred. So her son's face embodied that. So there, there's yeah. a very big contrast between looking at that the, the evidence of the ugliness and then look, listening to Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech, which was, it was not about the ugliness. It was about, of course, it's rooted in that reality, but it was very much about what, what are we capable of achieving? So saying all of that, do you think, what are your thoughts on where we are as a uh, as a community, uh, a Muslim community? Uh, and then, of course, I'd love for you to um, maybe expound on outside of the community as well on dealing with anti-blackness within the, the Muslim community and its ugliness. Is it being is it being whitewashed? Is it being sanitized? Are we really aware of the destructive effects of it as an ummah? Um, in your estimation, the work that you've been doing uh, with Muslim Mark. Okay, so, well, I mean, I have to definitely take a deep breath because my my political consciousness, my awareness, and my embracing of my black identity is deeply tied to being around his same age in high school and having my first black teachers. Mm-hmm at Mount Pleasant High School, and learning about the civil rights movement. Because I did not know anything about the civil rights movement until I had my first black teachers. And knowing that what my people, and then I started to learn about the struggle for our own freedoms for asserting our humanity. And one of the first things that I had saw was the mobilization, was his murder, Mm -hmm. the picture of his face in that casket from both this beautiful, young, black man Mm -hmm. to how he was brutalized and what they did. And so, like, the book that we had read, it was Eyes on the Prize. So I remember watching the video, right, of Eyes on the Prize back in, gosh, was it, like, it had to be, like, late 80s. And and that was a wake-up call for me that ultimately led to my Islam, embracing Islam, right? Like to look deep with like my own, the strength of my identity. And I was like, wow, my people really struggled. That was dignified. Like they stood up. And to see the lines that came to bear witness to his pain, that was also very, very powerful for me. Um, and this is, you know, decades later. So, um, 
and it was also deeply because I was around that same age, right? Mm-hmm. And and I had experienced being physically assaulted, you know, both by like classmates, been called the N word, having like having faced racism as a young black child. And it's like, well, how much different is it now when this was used to be allowed? And to know that it was a white woman that pointed him out and encouraged that violence on that young black man. Mm-hmm. Now, so and I and, and we're gonna like I, I need to really hold that 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 comment right, like to think about um, because there's, there's this this is going to relate to just people uh, within the Umma. So um, now to know that in that moment, like while there were always ebbs and flows of the movement of the black freedom struggle, right? That this was a major moment of, of uh, mobilization and with eyes on the prize, like they make the argument that it was like Emmett Till's murder that really sparked the, the modern day civil rights movement as we know it, right? You know, like, and it wasn't just focused on like this education, but it was like, we need to desegregate. We need to do something. And and at the time, like, you know, the NAACP, you know, like what they were working on from the beginning was for, um, they were fighting for black lives, um, black lives that were subject to state violence, mob violence, where if there's any accusation, right, like that, um, for, you know, whether that was asserting your own rights, like my great grandfather, you know, like, I mean, he left the South because of, the threat of violence if you got in conflict or you were too uppity as a black person it was like your your life could be in danger and that left to like to the great migration but there was still this deep connection where they went back down south and you know they're to their ancestral homelands and and connected with their family so i mean that for me emmett till's death was was deep in my formation and to explore who i was as as a black person in america and that and, and then that civil rights movement, right, of both of looking at, um, you know, the struggle for our rights, but then also just eventually like, to, to where we have, which they're put as a contrast, but I see them as complementary, where, where, you know, you have like the nation of Islam was like, nope, we're going to assert like this is evil. Mm-hmm. These people are doing devilish things because there has to be something deeply, profoundly wrong for you to torture someone like that. Like, where is your yeah. humanity? What happens to you to do something like that to a child? So that's something that's like very, um, you know, like I, I, I found that was like very interesting about the theology of nation of Islam. So the, um, so yeah, like kind of getting back to where, like even with the "I Have a Dream," like with with the March on Washington, which was criticized by some black nationalists, was, was, and I think that it was so important that we we had like see the range of discourse that was coming out of groups that were like, "Look, we don't want part of this," and another ones were like, "Look, we need to really put the pressure on this country to um, to live by its ideals of like equality." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that um, we look at things now, and while racism was like very front and center, and the, and the violence was front and center, that it hasn't gone away. Like the the violence. I mean, I, I, when I was young um, in high school, and probably still today, that that one of the most dangerous things was to be a young black man in an integrated neighborhood and dating a white or latina and you know the police called on them you know all the time these threats you know you have 
this is like um, Yusuf um, Yusuf Hawkins in Brooklyn was was murdered because he was rumored to be like dating a white girl in, in New York. So it's just like you know, like th- this was the same you know the summer where you have you know you have the now the exonerated uh, five um, where uh, Donald Trump he he wanted to he called for the death penalty right. of young like black uh, black Latino black and Latino men mm-hmm. so and they were the same age so it's just like how far are we now like when you still have threats of violence it's like that you still have people who aren't safe um you still have uh young black men who are still who are killed at the same rate as the lynchings in the south and mm. so that's something for us to think about and as and as muslims when you think and even though like things may be better and and our anti-racism work is not all centered around like who gets to marry who which i think but it still is important for our own when you hear from Families would that would would tell their daughters, "We will kill you if you marry a black man." Yeah. And how do you juxtapose like juxtapose Emmett Till, right? And then you hear that coming from your own like, wow, you know. Mm-hmm. And I want people to kind of think about that, like where they would threaten that type of level, because back in the day, those those were however you want to call it, like the honor killing. And this is like this whole idea of like protecting white womanhood and the, their ideas of like um, cultural, like white cultural genocide, like the, these threats that they have. And like, what does that mean when you have, like when you have members of our community who are like, I will pray beside you. I will do this. I will and maybe invite you to our iftar, but I will threaten my own family member with violence or social death if they cross the racial line. Mm. They marry anybody else but a black person because that's right. how progressive I am. So that's something, and it speaks to right that legacy of white supremacy, uh, cultural arrogance. But it's like especially white supremacy if they're like you can marry anybody else but a black person. Um, and but what does that mean when they like have they absorbed this history and saw themselves in that to purge themselves of of that kind of. Um, deep-seated anti-blackness and so you know it's it's definitely something that like kind of hits hits hard to think about and sometimes you know i may go into like some type of avoidance because it's like how do we process the heaviness of this but if we were going to do emmett hill justice if we're going to do the freedom riders who face that type of violence like we to the exonerated five who face that level of violence you know you think about the I mean, and I recommend everybody watch the series um, when they see us. Oh, yeah, Because absolutely. it's like, as Muslims, we're supposed to be witnesses, right? Witnesses. We're not even experiencing the direct physical pain, but if we can't even witness our brothers and sisters suffering when you see that. And that also when I just think about um, that last episode and just seeing that the, the type of brutality face, it reminded me of Emmett Till, that the, the system itself could be that violent and mutilate black people mm-hmm. in similar ways, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And then when you have like Yusuf Salam, like how his faith was the thing that carried him through such a dark spell. And so it's like, it's all deeply connected, right? Mm-hmm. And and we see this played out, right? Like in so many different ways. And so I, 
I really thank you for lifting up these dates as we think about the 400 years history of slavery in North America and how that helped form this this country. Yes. And to think about Emmett Till's murder and just how that injustice occurred. And then in the speech, and what is the promise? What is the dream that we should still be revisiting and pushing forward? You know what? To... To um, not so much share, but to give a statement that I'm absolutely sure was made by someone listening to that I have a dream speech when it was given, um, only for the purpose of, uh, of of stating that there are people now who listen to the articulations of uh, of injustice and oppression by oppressed peoples today, whether they be uh, uh, whether they're black or brown, uh, immigrant, whatever their particular classification uh, might be. Uh, but they greeted with the same response, which is, what are you talking about? <laughs> Things aren't that bad. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what in the world are you talking about? There are some who simply, even when they are presented with the, the evidence, it still becomes a, uh, it's, it's a matter of, well, I shouldn't say acceptance. It is a matter of their rejection of that articulation and as an educator i ask you because so much of the work that that you do that muslim mark does it is around educating people about realities that they may not be able to or willing to uh to see so Mm -hmm. how do you how do you how do you address that type of mind who hears who hears uh, muslim anti-racism collaborative and thinks of themselves we're an ummah. We, we, we don't have racism. Color doesn't matter. Right? They, 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 they're, they're parroting this, uh, th- this idea that the, the entrenched white supremacist uh, nature or, 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 or function within our nation has no impact on Muslims, whether they are indigenous or those who come here. So how do you address those who go, what what, what are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, that's that's why we did our needs assessment study. We had such little money, right? (laughs) Like when we did the study, we weren't even a real organization. (laughs) But we had to just be like, what's our empirical evidence? Where do we start, right? Like, so how could we share with you? So it's like, okay, so we're all equal, right? Then how come... We have the majority of Muslims, 59% of 400 respondents, um, say that they've experienced discrimination within Muslim communities. Now, we can look at all the data and see, like, the different ways that they articulated how discrimination occurred. Um, But when you have 59% across the board um, having experienced that, that's a significant amount number. That means that we need to do something about it. Um, And that, that really let that really allowed us to make a lot of ripples in, in how the Muslim community talked about things after 2015 when we published that report. So I'm like, look at the report. Now, yeah. if we ran this study again and we did it more scientifically, we probably have, you know, yeah, like the kind of questions we'd ask, maybe more kind of nuanced, where we may ask different things around, was this institutionally, did you face job discrimination? Because I can have lots of anecdotes mm-hmm. for the ways that, Muslims have been discriminated against or that we could see how white supremacy shows up in Muslim spaces 
and it can be, you know, so like some of the examples that we've shown is that um, where African-Americans um, are told that they're not professional because they use, you know, they sound black. And these are coming from people who also have an accent because they're native, not native, you know, English speakers. Maybe they learned as second generation. So why should there be a problem if I have a regional dialect, right, that kind of has roots in the South? Mm. You know, like there's like mm. that stuff just as professional. But yet you have this kind of discrimination where where in, in some organizations where you look at, like if you did a survey of like how many African-Americans work in their organization and there's like none, even though they may live in a ge- geography where there is like, 20% of the, the community is African-American, but yet no one in their leadership is. So it's like, well, how do you address those kind of disparities where we can make, if we did a work and we said, looked at salaries, right, of nonprofit people. Now, I know, like, in, you know, I could do case studies, like, because part of my work is informed internationally. And, look, like, I, I started looking at race and human trafficking in the Gulf itself. And that, say, if you apply for a job in, in the Middle East, they ask you for a picture. What? And then when people start to ask, yes, you have to send a picture of yourself. And that Europeans would get a higher pay than, say, a, a British Muslim. But if you have, like, a British, like, somebody that, like, you know, maybe looks Germanic or Anglo-Saxon, you know, sunburns, you know, like they, they would get like higher pay. And I, when I would talk with people that worked in the Gulf, they're like, I talked with so-and-so and they made like about 10, 10,000 reals more than me per year, which is like a significant, you know, like I'm, I'm just going out of making yeah. up a number, but it would be at that level that somebody white would get paid because they were like, that makes their school seem professional. And then the black teachers would be treated a certain way and be subject to levels of anti-blackness. And so that's international. And then how does that play out in certain schools and where there is like large black populations, but also like sampling of faculty or who gets hired and, and where you'll have credentialed black teachers that are not really allowed to rise up and, and become like not just school administrators, but like the principals, you know? So, I mean, we have a lot of work to study. There's a lot of anecdotal data, but it's like, we know that people of color, we internalize racism, we internalize white supremacy and we play it out in our communities. Like, you know, the things that, like, some of the early tension in 2006 was around Muslim-owned, like, South Asian and Arab-owned liquor stores. Right. Now, what are the economics? What are, what are the optics of that type of relationship, right? They're going into distressed African-American neighborhoods. We know that not all African-American neighborhoods, but, like, there are black middle-class neighborhoods. This is not where um, South Asian and Arab Muslims are owning liquor stores. They're not going into predominantly black affluent areas to, you know, like they're going yeah. into distressed neighborhoods. And, and that's like, so these high zones of concentration of our interaction is like either at the mosque or these like liquor, you know, like corner stores where there's these, this, this dynamic that, that occurs that's, that's predatory. Mm-hmm. And yet neighborhoods, like, so the same people don't live in the communities where they own the stores, they're following patterns of white flight. Now, so our dynamics may be subtle, right? It's, but they're still felt. And that when you have non-Muslim, African-American, Latinos can point to that and don't have 
fond feelings towards um, their South Asian and Arab brethren, it still is felt on African-American Muslims because we got an answer to them. And I don't know how many conversations yeah. you've had over the years, but I know I've had them. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, with my own family who's not appreciated the like amount of disrespect that they've experienced in these encounters in stores or restaurants that are in their neighborhoods. And so it it impacts my own lived experience as a Muslim, as a visible Muslim, and as someone who's very proud of my faith. And so it's like, hey, well what about this and that? So so I think there there are things that when we have to do the work, you know, when we are um as as Muslim anti-racist, that we have to look at the ways that different Muslim groups may be complicit in the oppression of another Muslim group, and that we have to challenge that and be more committed towards solidarity and towards like not um, not trying to benefit at the expense of another group. Mm. How important is it to delve into the uh, the formation of negative perceptions that, that people may hold, you know, once you get them to recognize that there is an uneven playing field, there is discrimination, there is prejudice, there is there is um, there's bias. All these things exist. How important is it to get people to understand how they came to, to the point where they held certain beliefs uh, and perspectives on, on those uh, communities? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, what we have to really do is, is to look at where do we receive our messaging, right? We have media, we have our education system, like what we learn in school books and in college, like we learn um, to value and valorize um, Western civilization, you know, valorize this you know, um, colonial project, right? You know, I mean, I, I grew up with this the type of conditioning that I had, and, and it's really very great to see um, critiques of that. You know, it's like I have to reevaluate all the movies that I saw where, you know, it's kind of valorized, like, cowboys versus, mm. Indi- you know, like, it's just like, yeah. so there's the media narratives, and then you have what we learn in the social world. We first learn from our parents the kind of comments the kind of subtle things, even hidden things, like things that it may just be people's aversions, right? So um, I think that people have to tackle that. But if we are still, like, following the Quranic injunction, we are created a different tribe so that we may know one another, Ta'arafu, then we have to really know people, right? We have to know their history and contribution. And what I do see sometimes are people, they feel so bad about anti-Blackness, and they go through this guilt, and they're in just such deep denial, right, like about as far as, like, Black evidence, excellence Mm -hmm. and how they've benefited from both the freedom struggle but all the institutions that we've built to make the society a place where they can still like assert their own identity and that that's something that's very um important and i think that understanding like black contributions african contributions to global civilization is very important and for those for the muslims like i was telling someone i was like y'all don't even know like i mean al-jahid you know, like looking at like how he, when it came to the Shu'ubiyah, like he basically made sure that Arabic still like was still an important court literature, like asserted that you could write an essay in whole Arabic rather than just 
Persian, you know, like mm. you have like black rulers, like they, they don't understand, you know, if, if you don't see that, like they were, they, they may not understand that they were like um, Malik Ambar or the CD princes or like, you know, like just to see the kind of powerful trades and, 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 you know, but if they're just only thinking we're here for their rescuing, then they'll just replicate like black their own thing of like I'm the savior like yeah. and I'm not trying to be saved but what I am trying to do for my people is like that we can live to our full potential and not be hampered like my freedom is like that I'm not hampered from movement and living to my full potential and that my daughter is not prevented from moving to her full potential because of like the social shackles that people want to impose on her and that includes in the United States of looking at you know and for them to look at like okay um African-Americans, back in the day when we were Negroes, we built universities, law schools, hospitals, hospitals that their people are still learning and getting their residencies and credentials from. That's you right. know, so if you look at the new incoming cohort of like MSA leaders at Howard, there's people that are from all over globally that have learned that that African like liberation struggles that people have benefited from like the black radical tradition where we black people normalize the discourse of their identity. People talk about transnational solidarity, mm-hmm. you know, like they're, and they really point to like Palestinians. And I love that. Like they were showing um, the Ferguson protesters, how to, um, how to combat tear gas. But at the same time, like the people that are pointing to these, these acts of solidarity aren't pointing to that black radicals and black Muslims since the beginning, since the 60s, have asserted the humanity and rights of Palestinian liberation from them at their own, like, at, like they've taken major detriments and solidarity with people in the United States to do mm-hmm. that. And they've normalized it in the discourse, and that we've taken blows for that. And that's what Ilhan Omar has done, right? Mm-hmm. Like, she put herself on the line, and that's what black people do. So it's just kind of like, I think that people need to acknowledge both the cultural capital um, and that our cultural capital is not just music, but it's also the kind of resilience and creativity. And for me, that was also like I had to unlearn my own internalized racism of seeing that I had the potential, like knowing that there were black inventors, that there were black people that, that contributed to the well-being of society from the, the um, signal lights. Yeah. Blood plasma, yeah. you know, like all those things, like people think that's like this, Garrett that's Morgan. not important for black mm-hmm. history. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's just important for them to know that, like, if you want to know me, then you got to know what, what my struggles are, but what my contributions, and I'll do the same for you. Yes. That's like, I'm a historian, so I love that. Yes. And so me knowing other people and appreciating them for like their contributions and appreciating their, their ancestors' struggles it's something that enriches me, and I feel deeply rooted and connected to to people by knowing their history and celebrating them. And I want the same too. I don't, I don't want anybody's pity, and I don't want my cult, my my movement appropriated either for just like a limited, like for you know for anything other than collective liberation. But mm-hmm. what I do want is also to have respect, respect us, and so. If they're really, really about the kind of what the Quranic injunction that is Tahadafu, like you're going to know yourself by knowing others, and and that means like the good, the bad, the ugly, and and not just reinserting racist tropes or cultural. And, and now it's like blaming black culture for why we haven't gotten ahead, 
even though we are still making gains, there's plenty of assimilated black people. There's still black people in every institution, mm-hmm. while some of these other folks are pointing out to like black struggle. But it's like when they look at their own community and it's almost like they if they don't have a positive self-identity, then they'll just look at like, say, black poverty to make themselves feel better. But it's like, wait, right. it's like a lot of folks, like if you look at the average, like the Muslim American um demographics they're not all wealthy they're not all middle class you know like it's just like you have high rates of poverty Mm. you have people who are undocumented so it's like but don't create a script to to make yourself feel better by pointing to black poverty yes it's overrepresented but that's not the only like authentic blackness is not predicated upon suffering you know and i think that's something so they need to kind of dismantle the ways in which they internalize anti-blackness mm. Mm. that's a lot there i was like i went all over the place no 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 <laughs> that, that was wonderful <laughs> that was a that was a wonderful commentary um and i would i would add for those who consider themselves to be a part of the social justice movement for those who um in speech align themselves with uh, the marginalized, align themselves with the oppressed, that these are more than simple rhetorical talking points. And that simply to say that you recognize the contributions uh, of African-Americans or to simply say that you recognize disparities, but really, but not to lend any real action towards uh, changing that reality or, or to lend any support to those organizations on the ground that are led by those in those communities, right? To not take on the savior position, um, but to lend your support to those organizations. That is the qualifying factor in your commitment uh, and to your alignment with justice. So I'll, uh, as our uh, sister Marguerite just um, reminded us uh, to Arafu, right? To know, know one another, right? To engage in that. I take you also back to uh, the fourth surah, surah Tunisa, chapter of the women, the 135th ayat. We are told to stand firmly for justice, for kist, right? Justice, peace, equity, all that's encompassed in that. Uh, As witnesses, knowing that Allah sees that. Even if it's against ourselves, our families, anybody else, rich or poor, doesn't matter. So to take a principal stand on that, uh, this is something that is really important in a time where our political convictions oftentimes override our principle or our, our principles are in danger because of our political aspirations or convictions. So let's let's just be mindful of that. Um, I've said too much. Uh, Marguerite, no, me... you, you, you got to say more. We, we got to. We're going to have to follow up because I think that's, that's important. There's a lot of fear, right? And and I think that we need to be vigilant about how that fear causes us to compromise not, not only our own being, mm-hmm. but um, to put other people in danger, put other people's lives at yeah. risk. Absolutely. And I think that that's, that's going to be... Ahead of these elections, we need to mm. have these important discussions. Inshallah. Yes, inshallah, we, we definitely will. Uh, let me ask you: so, what uh, what what's the new haps? What is going on with Muslim Arc right now? Uh, a little birdie told me that you all have an upcoming event. 
We do. So um, we have a committee right now. So we, we have an, a Justice Awards dinner in Southern California. Uh, and part of that is it, it aligns with this, this idea that we, we have to acknowledge the shoulders that we stand on, right? Like, and that there are people alive now. We're not just going to point to, like, um, Malcolm X or Muhammad Ali, you know, Mela, um, forgive them and accept all of their good deeds. Um, you know, we, we can't just point to them, but, um, but there's also people that were connected. If we look at the, that there were people that supported that, you know, the civil rights movement, we usually focus on the icons and not like the people that were just doing the work. Right. And, and so, and that there's people today that are making, moving major efforts to, to improve the dignity of people. And so usually our awards are local. They're focused on where we have our dinner at and where we highlight and spotlight people who are embodying those principles. And we get, usually get really great nominations. This year we have about 20 for four awards. And um, we're still selecting them, so we'll be making announcements this week of, of people that we will be honoring. Um, and at this dinner, I mean, we, we also want to celebrate because doing anti-racism you know, a lot of times it sounds like, you know, it's, it's a lot of work, mm-hmm. but it's also sometimes it's very joyful work where we're celebrating our culture, we're celebrating the gains that we've made, we're honoring people that have sacrificed, we're giving thanks. And so um, at this dinner, we have Samir Gardezi, who's been a really great partner. And Samir, um, he is the CEO of Break the Room entertainment and that is a very innovative um screenwriters development room so he builds out screenwriters we have people of color and so um his inaugural one we actually muslim mark actually partnered with him on the first uh, break the room which uh, brought together people of color to tell a story of a black muslima and her roommate in california and so um the writers, so we have Mia, um, Malika Dixon, uh, Tanha Dill, Tandy, and, um, and Halima Lucas. And these writers just came up with such amazing scripts. It was picked up for a series. Um, within the next couple months, we'll have like some announcements for when that series goes on the digital platform. Awesome. Uh, we're just so excited. We're going to, you know, like it's screening. It's screened at South by Southwest. Um, and so we were part of that inaugural project. And He's done a few other screenwriters' rooms, and his—he's right now in Hawaii um, with The Rock on a series, and they had announcements for that. But it's a series it entails social justice around Polynesian, a Polynesian family who owns a resort and dealing with kind of, you know, someone from the outside, a major tech boom giant who invests. And so, like, how do you deal with these kind of complex dynamics? And so, that's all Polynesian writers, and that's what he does. He does like. Right, Native American screenwriters rooms and he builds them out and gives them mentors them and they produce authentic narratives and so we're very excited to bring him to talk about um, how we can bring about systems change and connect pop culture and social movement mm-hmm. um, and then we have uh, Mecca Ali um, who is the co-producer co-host of identity politics, and she's in Chicago. Um, so be sure to subscribe, and um, it's just a fantastic podcast. We have um, Rashid Shabazz, who's 
I'm the co- uh, one of the founders of Habari Oma from Oakland. Um, so we have like both North and S- Southern California at the dinner. All right. um, yeah, Namira Islam is the co-founder of Muslim Mark, and she's a lawyer, graphic designer, Bangladeshi American, and we have uh, uh, Sarah Mustafa, who's also a board member, so she'll be speaking also. So we have like a really great lineup that really reflects the diversity of our ummah that reflects all these different perspectives and people just doing amazing work within entertainment, within social change, coming together. And then our um, then we have Akilda MC from Jurassic Five, so he'll be providing entertainment. Dropping <laughs> nice. some knowledge nice. on us. So we're just like very excited. And Revolutionario Tacos, which is also a Kate like a fantastic restaurant in los angeles they do north african tacos you cannot have a legit southern california event without some bomb tacos so mm. it's just like i mean yeah it's, it's fusion north african some korean influence but definitely you know uplifting the latino and like latino um cultural influence in in our you know and it's not i I don't want to reduce it to tacos because but we've done really great work right but like tacos brings the world together like real tacos though i know chicago has like a good solid mexican american population so y'all know what we're talking about right right. so (laughs) like i want to just definitely give a shout out to because like um, Lama, the Latino Muslim group, like they've been so such deep supporters of Muslim art, and we're just happy to bring filmmakers, artists, social movement people, um, faithful leaders, like people who who believe in justice and racial equity, um, and love and freedom, like all together to celebrate, mm-hmm. like what we're about to do, like what we've done, what we accomplished in the past five years. And what we plan to do in the next five years. Inshallah. This sounds like it's going to be a phenomenal event. Uh, where can folks go to get information, get tickets uh, to support? Where do they go? Yeah, you can go to SoCal, so S O C A L dot Muslimark dot org to find out what we're doing in Southern California. Or you can just go to our regular website, MuslimARC.org. You'll get that information, follow what we're doing on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and it's Muslim ARC. Um, and we're always going to be making announcements. Find, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. Check out our website. Sign up for the list. Stay, uh, you know, stay abreast. You know, I'm not going to say stay woke because that got appropriated already. <laughs> the U.K. already using that now, the government. Right, um, right. <laughs> but that's, that's going to, you know, those are going to be like little reminders of like how you can get involved. You know, like there's a lot of places where I'm going to be at, that Namira's going to be at, that Layla, that Allison, we're, we're working on getting our pipeline of, of trainers. And there's some amazing folks, and we look to collaborate with you all um, in the future. Inshallah. Oh. Alhamdulillah, inshallah. Well, um, continue doing the fantastic work you're doing. I want to. I want you to give people one more piece of information. Uh, they know how to find uh, Muslim Mark. You can go to at Muslim Mark Twitter. Follow uh, the the Twitter page. How do they follow you? Yeah, you can follow me on. I have like my Instagram is very personal, but like that's just me. But it's Marguerite.hill. So that's my Instagram handle. But my Twitter handle is my first name, Marguerite. That's spelled like Margarita without the T-A, M-A-R-G-A-R-I, 
underscore Aziza, and that's spelled A-Z-I-Z-A, so it's spelled the same way, front ways, going backwards, too. Um, so you can find me there. Um, yeah, that's. I think those are the two best ways to, to capture some of the random happenings, things I'm, I'm involved in. Um, you know, my random Twitter rants, which are famous, you know, I'm always on a, in the peanut gallery and, um, yeah, like let's connect, you know, uh, and, and I, I hope to hear from you all. Yeah. And I want to remind you, uh, Radio Song family, uh, if you go to her, uh, Twitter page, just so you know, she's put it up here plainly for you to see anything <laughs> you tweet at me can be used against you in my court. That's all I'm going to say. It's one of the uh, dopest. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, alhamdulillah. All right, uh, Margaret, yeah. it is always a pleasure to have you on and to get your perspective on things. And uh, we're praying that the uh, the awards dinner, that it is wildly successful. And uh, we're just, just praying for the continued well-being of you and all those who are, are on the ground doing this work that is uh, so vital for our community. Inshallah. Inshallah. Jazakallah khair. Thank you. Well, yeah. All right, Radio Islam family, that is it. We appreciate you all taking the time to uh, to listen in. And remember, as always, make sure you are subscribed and then do that other S thing, that share, okay? At Radio Islam USA, wherever you get your podcast. I am your host and producer, Tariq el Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. With that, we we are going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.